right. Same weapon. 422.
Oh, uh-huh. 
percent, but There is a happy land far, far away, where saints in glory stand bright, bright as day. Oh, how the sweetly sing, worthy is our Savior King.
Aunt Louise had a spell. Mike can explain it better, but Dawn was in the whole thing, but she had a scared thought. She had a food reaction or something that ate in the restaurant and started spitting up blood. Oh. Everything. But come to find out, whatever the spot is in her mouth is pre-cancerous. They finally, like three doctors could figure out, but they sent it off or about six pre-cancerous. I think she goes again next week to see what we're doing, but anyway, God, if I had a register, she never knew she had this spot, so that what happened, if I can explain that, but ain't the born. Right there? My brother, friend, Mark, is having an open heart surgery on Tuesday. Let's pray accordingly for that. All minds are peace. And last brother, Chris, will lead us in have your Bibles, just turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. We're not going to spend the whole time in Genesis this morning, but we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. You've gotten down from the creation and the fall in the garden, expulsion of the garden, and then we started looking at the fallout from the fall, the consequences of sin, death death entering into the world, Um, you had the first murder. You had the lying brother, the expulsion of Cain and uh, his descendants, and then you had the genealogy of Adam falling with Seth, all the way down to Noah. I want to pick up reading in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all they chose. And I'll just pause right there. I've read some crazy things about people trying to explain what it was, the difference between sons of God and daughters of men. And uh, say maybe it was angels or fallen angels. Just crazy stuff. What have we seen in the Scripture so far? We've seen two descendants. Cain's descendants and Seth's descendants. I'm pretty sure that's what we're talking about there. So the sons of God would be referring to those descendants of Seth and the others referring to the descendants of Cain. All right? And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be numbered 120 years. I've also seen read that folks say, Well, that means no one can live over 120 after this point. No. I'll go look at the ages. I think Joseph was the first one to be recorded as living under 120 years. Most likely this is referring to how long from this point until the Lord is going to send the flood. He's tired of striving with the wickedness that's on the planet. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, 
when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which are of old men of renown. So my guess there is there was more of them back then, and they were very rare later on in life. So you had David later fighting the giant. So there were still some remnants later, but they were mighty men of, mighty men of old, men of renown. Verse 5, this is what I really want. And God saw the wickedness of man. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what we want to do this morning is we want to examine what we refer to as the doctrine. Doctrine is just a fancy word for instruction, teaching. What we use the term is total depravity. Now, if you do a word search for depravity in Scripture, you won't find it. It's not there. But what it means is corruption. Totally corrupt. And you will see corruption and filthy, which often is the same Hebrew word for corruption, throughout Scripture. And so my plan this morning is to limit ourselves to the Old Testament. There's enough there. We'll look at the New Testament later. And I just, I'm, we're just going to kind of go through and we are going to see what God's Scripture describes about man in his natural state. If you are listening to any self-help book of today, any philosophy of today, you will have some basis, most likely, of the starting point that man is inherently good. If that's your starting point, you can be way off base on all your conclusions. Scripture does not teach that man is inherently good. And so we're going to look at a bunch of Scriptures. I think I counted up about 27 different references we're going to look at. I'm not going to treat extensively on any of them. This is more of just giving you a survey of what the Old Testament describes you and me in our natural condition thanks to the fall in the garden. This is where we all start from. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found Grace in the eyes of the Lord. You were with us, I believe it was uh, Friday night. Elliot, I did not get all the soap out of that. Can you grab me a bottle of water? <laughs> Wash my cups, and that's, whew, that's a strong dawn. <laughs> um, Brother David, oh, thank you, buddy. Mentioned this verse about Noah finding grace, and the definition of grace is unmerited favor. What does that mean, kids? Unmerited favor. It means you didn't deserve it. Right? Mm. That tastes less like Dawn. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was blessed by the Lord with grace. Not because he deserved it, because the Lord sovereignly chose to bless him with that. And these are the generations of Noah, who was a just, or upright man, and perfect in his generations, complete and mature, and Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
And the earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence, cruelty. And the Lord looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So this is going to be our theme for today, is corruption. Corrupted, to be rotten, to be filthy, to be vile. The preacher word is depraved, but corruption. All earth, all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Alright, and God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then he gives them instructions on making the ark, and they go into the ark, and they spend about a year in it, and eventually they come out, and the first thing Noah does is he builds an altar. So we're over in chapter 8, verse 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord sweat, smelled the sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of a man's heart, of man's heart, is evil from his youth. This is God talking. He's describing you and me and every other person from our youth, every imagination of our heart is evil. It is corrupt. It is vile. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. So he's not going to curse the ground anymore, and he's not going to cause another flood to wipe out humanity. But notice how he describes us. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's not describing just all those people before the flood. Now they had all demonstrated their evilness, and the world was full of violence, and he wiped it out. But it's going forward too. That's why he's saying, I'm not going to curse them again because of this. That's that's their condition. Okay. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. I want us to jump forward quite a bit to the book of Job. Book of Job. Remember, Job was a, a righteous man. He did did good, he worshipped God, he offered sacrifices just in case his kids had made mistakes uh, that he didn't know about. And then the Lord tests him. The Lord tests him by taking away all his wealth, by taking away uh, his children. Um, So he's left with nothing. All his friends and family desert him. He's physically afflicted. He's left sitting in an ash heap, scraping himself with a pot. And when his three friends friends <laughs> come to comfort him they don't even recognize him and they get into a debate and Job is not perfect in this debate he tries to justify himself about woe is me and God's wrong to do this to me and I want to have my day in court um, but some of the things they say some, of the, some are wrong but some of the things that he and the friends say are, are very true and so we're going to look at a few of those we're going to look at Job chapter 14 and we'll just start in verse 1, saying, A man that is born of a woman is few of days, is a few days, and full of trouble. That's not just saying troubles. Things are bad, things are going to happen to you. Well, that's true, too. But we're full of trouble in and of our 
himself. He come forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also in a shadow and continueth not, referring to the short lifespan. And dost thou open thine eyes upon him such as one and bringest me into judgment with thee. Verse 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Gives an answer. Not one. Every parent who has a child, the parents are unclean. They are evil. They are corrupt by nature. And they cannot produce clean offspring. Now Job's using this to justify himself. He says, it's not my fault. <laughs> but the, the truth there is, is, is very true that we... The truth there is true. It's true what he's saying. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Not one. He can't. Okay? Now, his buddy, Eliphaz, is going to respond to him over in chapter 15 and verse 14. He says, What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he putteth no trust. Now, he's referring to God. God putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable? Abominations, filthy, detestable, loathsome. How much nastier? And filthy is man, that filthy is corrupt, which drinketh iniquity like water. Drinketh iniquity like water. That's an interesting word picture. Y'all ever been working out on a really hot day? You just, you're so thirsty. And you got that big old glass of water and you just chug it, right? Before you even really feel that you're full. And by the end, you really kind of feel sick. I did that one time, but my stepmom had put a big gallon of bleach water on the counter. She was cleaning out her big glass jar. You know, you can't wash it, it had a little bit. So I had chugged almost a full solo cup of bleach water before the taste kicked in. I lived. Uh, but you're just chugging it back, right? That's how man is described as drinking in iniquity, evilness, wickedness, vileness. What is man that he should be clean? The heavens are not clean in the sight of God. He puts no trust in his saints. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. All right, and later over in chapter 25, we'll see the other friend, one of the other friends, Bildad, jump in on this line of thought. 25 verses 4 through 6. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. Now when I read worm, what do y'all think of? Earthworm? I inherently think of earthworms for some reason. And they're, they're, they're kind of wriggly and gross. Um, but you always think about, well, they're, they're helpful, right? They're, you put them in your garden, it's good for you. Know, I kind of have a positive association with earthworms. Maybe it's just fishing. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what this worm really is closer to? You ready for this? Our theme is maggot. Maggot. Our theme is corruption. Right, that face, yeah. But that's us. A man, how much less... Pure is man, which is a maggot. And what do maggots produce? What are their offspring? More maggots. So it's saying, how much less a man that is a maggot or worm, and the son of man, that which is going to be produced of it, is the same thing. Maggots. Yeah, I don't have any positive associations with maggots, right? It's that trash can that had been left out there too long, and the things are right. Just, ugh, right? That's us. 
Okay? Sometimes we get too high of a steam for ourselves, right? And our own nature and our own good, we're just maggots. Okay? Not clean, not pure, can't produce something that's clean. Our offspring will be just like us. Alright, going forward, let's look at the Psalms. We'll hit several of them. We'll start in Psalm 10. Your homework for this week can be to read all of Psalm 10. I'm just going to get a few verses here. And here, it's describing the wicked, but I'm going to give you a clue that in our natural state, it's talking about us. or the wicked. The wicked, verse 3. Psalm 10, verse 3. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. Ooh, heart's desire. We've learned about our heart's desires already this morning. Imagination of a man's heart. Wicked, evil. The wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous. I'm bragging about the things, the evil things, the wicked things, the lust of the flesh that I desire. I'm bragging about it in my conversations. And those who are covetous, who are getting all the stuff or whatever it is, I'm blessing them. Man, these people got it figured out. But what does the Lord describe to those covetous? The Lord abhorreth it. It's a big word, abhorreth. We use the word hate or detest, despise. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That's our natural state. Not seeking God. God is not in our thoughts. We will not seek Him. His ways are always grievous. That being the ways of us is wicked. Our ways are grievous because we're following the desires of our heart, which are evil. Thy judgments, God's judgments, are far above out of His sight. As for all His enemies, He puffeth at them. This is working at the, the wicked. He's got enemies. He's just kind of bowing up His chest. He said in His heart, I should not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing, deceit, fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Later down the road, we'll talk about the difference between the new man and the old man. And there's a wonderful description for the old man. And when you read in the New Testament, you'll see big blocks of text that describe the old man. And they'll parallel this. Patrick and I have been having extensive conversations about the old man and putting him to death this week and, <laughs> and laying these things aside. But this is our starting point. Okay? Mouthful of cursing, deceit or lies, fraud, under his tongue is mischief and vanity. And let's go forward a little bit to Psalm 14. Psalm 14, we'll get verses 1 through 4. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Y'all, that's where we start. We're fools. By nature, we're fools shouting, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works, detestable works, actions. There is a couple that doeth good. What's it say? None. That's pretty clear. None that doeth good. 
The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Did any do good? Did any understand? Did any seek God? No. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. That same word, corrupt. There is none that doeth good. Is there an exception? No. <laughs> it it gives, it, gives the answer to that. None that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat up bread and call not upon the, upon the Lord. So by nature, we don't seek God. We don't love God. We don't do good. That's what Brother David was talking about in his sermon on election. Is he didn't look down through time and see, well, this one's going to turn out good. Now he looked down time and saw none. None that saw him. None that did good. They're all gone aside, gone astray. We have left the right path. Altogether become filthy, corrupt, rotten. Right. So, Brother John, this is not a very fun sermon. No, it's not. This is not designed to make you feel good about you. This is designed to tell you the truth about the magnitude about what God did when Christ redeemed you. And if you don't understand where you were, you can't appreciate the scope of the sacrifice He made. And the New Testament is going to talk about being dead in trespasses and sins. It's a way of describing this. And that that's when Christ died for you. Even when you were dead in sins. Not because you were great and awesome, but in spite of you. <laughs> he had put His love upon you, and for His love and covenant's sake, He went through with that. Okay? So the point in all this is seeing this theme painted throughout Scripture. This is not just one Scripture randomly pulled out and twisted. Folks can make theology that way, but it ain't good theology. So we want to continue looking through the theme of the corruption of man since the garden. It's all from the fallout of sin. Alright? So abominable, loathsome, detestable. Alright? Let's go forward to... Psalm 51, that's where we want. So everybody is in this boat, every man, woman, and child, without exception. Psalm 51, I'll just to give you a little bit of context from the title of this, this is written after David has been caught in his sin with adultery with Bathsheba, and then the subsequent murder of her husband, and then the subsequent cover-up. This is, so this, that's your context for writing the psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
some denominations will try to build this idea that at some point in children's life they're completely innocent. And they make up this age of accountability thing. Find that in Scripture. Good luck. I was shaped in iniquity when I was conceived. I had an unclean father and an unclean mother. And from the moment of my conception, I was unclean. I was shaped. I was formed in sin. So there is no time before your existence when you are not a sinner. We have it in an inherited sin nature going all the way back to Adam. Thanks, Adam. And then, as soon as we're born, we go apart speaking lies, depart speaking lies, and we start practicing sin on our own and adding to our own accounts or debts, as Brother David was talking about. Okay? Let's go to uh, Psalm 58. I think that's where we want. Psalm 58. Yeah. Psalm 58. The wicked are estranged, or go astray, from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Okay. The youngest child who gets caught doing something they didn't do, didn't something they did do, and they have a sibling, even before they can talk, what do they do? <laughs> they lie. <laughs> and then when they can talk, they lie more. Even if you watch them do it, they lie. The wicked are estranged from the womb. From the very time you're born, they go astray. As soon as they're born, speaking lies. All right? That's, that's us. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ears, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Okay. What's this going to be clarified in the New Testament? Is we talking about? It's talking about how you can hear the Scripture, you can hear the Gospel, but as long as you're still deaf, the Lord has not caused you to be born again, Ain't no amount of persuasion that's going to touch you. It just ain't there. You can't even really hear it. Okay? No matter how effective the charmer or the preacher is, the charmer's snake charmer, right? You do his little pipe dance and he's moving around and the snake's wiggling and responding to it. It says, the deaf adder, I don't care how good you are, snake charmer, he's not responding. All right? Let's go again to Psalm... Let's go look at 119 and just pick up one verse... Psalm 119, and I want verse 176. Talked about the wicked going astray. And remember, when it's talking about the wicked, it's talking about us. It's talking about us. Psalm 119, I want verse 176. I have gone astray. I have gone astray. And what's the image? Like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. I have gone astray. We cannot truly understand and own what Jesus has done for us until we're able to say that and mean it. As long as we think, I'm alright! I'm not a bad dude! I don't steal from anybody. I don't use narcotics. I pay my taxes on time. Right? All those things. I'm not bad. 
I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Every single one of us. And there's this image over and over again used of this imagery of being the sheep and the shepherd coming after the sheep. Right? Go forward to Proverbs chapter 5. We'll get a few more. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. Verse 21. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. Is there anything you can do the Lord can't see? No. Anything you can think or say? No. He knows it all. His eyes are, his eyes are upon you. He ponders all you're going. Verse 22. His own iniquities shall the wicked shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. This is a good picture for the spiritual bondage that you're in. When you're dead in trespasses and sins, you are wrapped up in your own sins. And the more you sin, the tighter and tighter and tighter it's gotten. And you have no chance of getting out on your own. Okay? You are wrapped around in the cords of of your sin. Go again forward to Psalm 20, verse 9. Who can, who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? The answer in that is no one. But notice it's not just saying, I am clean. It's saying, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. It's acknowledging that we're all sinners and that's where we'll start, but what is being taught here is that you don't have the power to become clean, to purify yourself. It's not within you. Right? You cannot decide today, alright, I'm going to do good. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to do better. I'm going to glorify Him. You don't have that power. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. The answer is no one. Alright? Go again forward to Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20. Get some more wisdom from Solomon. Ecclesiastes 7 and 20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Pretty broad statement. Pretty clear. Are you inherently good? No. Not one. Not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Let's go again down to uh, 29 in that same chapter. Lo, this have I found, that God hath made man upright. He did. He made Adam and he made Eve and they were upright. They were very good. But they have sought out many inventions. Every imagination of his heart was only evil continually. That's the fallout from the fall, from that sin. And our hearts have been corrupted. Let's go forward to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. You should be very familiar with this chapter. It's a beautiful prophecy of Christ. I'm only going to pick up a couple verses. Start in verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All we, like sheep, have 
gone astray. All. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, not the Lord's way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you get this imagery again of us being turned and being like a lost sheep. We've all gone astray. Go again later in Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 7. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, used bloody rags. That's our best. And we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon his name, that stirreth himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. We are all an unclean thing. Our righteousness is filthy rags. There's none that calleth upon thy name. Continue on in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4. Verse 22. For my people is foolish, and they have not known me. They are sottish children. Sottish means silly, or again foolish. Sottish children. And they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, But to do good, they have no knowledge. No knowledge. Go forward again to Jeremiah 5.21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. This is going to be another description of us as being naturally corrupt and dead in trespasses and sins, that we have no spiritual life and that we have no ears where we can hear spiritual truth. We have no eyes to see spiritual truth. So yes, we're physically living the same way that Adam and Eve still physically lived after they ate of the fruit. But they died spiritually. And that's our starting point in our life. That's why Jesus would tell Nicodemus that you must be born again and that spirit is you're born again by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can control or ask for. Can't even see it happening. But it happens by his own initiative. And that's when you are given eyes to see and ears to hear. So here you've got this this imagery of one who is alive but physically deformed, handicapped, where you can't see, you can't hear, you can't understand. You have no understanding. The same way that Adam and Eve's eyes were opened and they suddenly had understanding of good and evil, you have no understanding of God and of His truth and of His of, of spiritual things when you're in this state. Right. Same same point is taught at this next chapter in Jeremiah six ten. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach; they have no delight in it. So we've got the idea of. The, uncircumcised ears, that the the opening hasn't been opened. It's still closed. And when you hear the word in this state, that word is just a reproach. You hate it. There's no delight for it. It's not until He gives you that delight. 
Go again forward to Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 and 9. The heart is deceitful. It will trick you. Just a little bit. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's very good at it. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. You can't know it. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even the way of every man, according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So the Lord knows your heart, but he knows how desperately wicked it is. Deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Okay? I want to take just a minute and go on a brief tangent and look at descriptions of just the heart. Jeremiah 6, down in verse 16 and verse 12. And ye have done worse than your fathers, for behold, ye walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. The imagination of your evil heart. You're seeing this theme here? Go back to Proverbs 28 and 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whosoever walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Why why is trusting in your heart foolish? Because it's deceitful. It's wicked. Go to Ecclesiastes 9.3. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, and there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. All right. Again, this, this theme of evilness filling your hearts. All right, And Jesus really pulls this out, and we'll just grab one New Testament reference. In Mark chapter 7. Jesus pulls out this when his uh, disciples were getting given grief by the followers of the scribes and Pharisees about not washing their hands. And they're, well, you're going to defile yourself. You're going to make yourself unclean. And Jesus says, no, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you. And what does that come from? It comes from the source of your evil imaginations and evil thoughts. He said, this is Mark chapter 7, verse 20, and he says, Jesus that which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, or desiring forbidden things, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. They come out from our naturally corrupt, completely corrupt heart. We desire these things and then we do them. Okay? That's, that's the state of your heart. Sometimes we use the expression, well, the Lord knows my heart. That's not a defense. <laughs> that's an accusation. <laughs> he knows that as nice as I portray myself to everyone else, I'm much more wicked on the inside. That's our natural state. And you can't change that on your own. 
Look at Jeremiah 13, 23. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Those in the Ethiopian nation had dark skin. Can they change their skin to a different color? Or the leopard change his spots? Leopards say, I'd really like to be a tiger now. I'm over the polka dot thing. I want some stripes. No, he can't. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or his leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. So if you've got the ability to change your hair from dark to gray or gray back to dark and change your skin tone, you can... Desire, you know, the same way a leopard can change from having spots to having stripes. You don't have that ability, right? You can fret about it all you want and it won't change one thing. In that same way, you also don't have the ability to go from this state, your natural state of man, who is dead in trespasses and sins and no spiritual life, to then be someone who desires God, to seeks God, and does His will. So we've only looked at these verses from the Old Testament and and maybe taken individually the scene isn't as clear as you'd like it. The New Testament makes it very clear. We'll look at that next week. But so far we've already learned that everyone's a sinner. Every single one. We're born that way by nature and then as soon as we're born we start practicing it. Right? Our nature is evil. We don't seek God. Our hearts are corrupt. Right? There's no exception. All have turned away, all have gone aside, none doeth good, none that seeketh God. Of God we have no knowledge, right? All our best efforts, our best righteousness of ourself is just bloody rags. And we have no power to change that. It's impossible for us as parents to then give birth Perfect children. First time parents, all those kids are so perfect. <laughs> Up until the phase, until the odor comes into the diapers. <laughs> it's like a freebie. They give you, the Lord gives you a free week. So they are, oh, I got this. Yeah. You can't. Nothing clean can be created out of unclean, and we are unclean. There's none pure. By our nature, we drink up iniquity like water. And unfortunately, the difference between that and my illustration is once I tasted the bleach, I quit drinking. But by nature, we just keep going. We desire it. And that is our point from our earliest conception. Right? We're born in iniquities. We're shaped in iniquity, shaped in sin. That shape is like the clay. The potter's working with clay. He's forming us in our mother's womb. And we're already there in sin. All right? We are physically unable, though alive, we're physically unable to hear, unable to see, and unable to understand the things of God. We are lost sheep, gone astray, in need of a Savior, in need of something outside of ourselves because we had no power or ability or strength to redeem ourselves, to change our condition. That's our starting point. Thank you all for your time and attention this morning.
You might have a number you like singing in closing. 